Mark Collier for Thomas Matters Radio, broadcasting live from Living Media Headquarters. Sponsor today is Omega Processing Solutions. Are you searching for a better way to run your business? Their point-of-sale systems can help. Are you tired of long-term merchant service provider contracts and terminal leases? Well, contact Omega Processing Solutions today to learn the difference. Info at OmegaP.com. You can reach them once again at info at OmegaP.com or call them today, 866-888-9724, 866-888-9724. That's Omega Processing Solutions, unsurpassed value, unmatched support. Today on the show, we are doing a General Assembly 2018 recap with, um, it's going to be an interesting panel. Two superintendents from Northern Kentucky Schools and Dr. Karen Chesser and Jay Brewer of Dayton Independent Schools. Uh, we also have State Senator Will Schroeder, who is heavily involved in the process, and Northern Kentucky Chamber CEO and President Brent Cooper. Okay, so now we're back in the Living Media Conference Room. I'm here with Dr. Chesser. And Mr. Cooper and Mr. Brewer and Mr. Schroeder, how is everybody? Good. Doing great. Did you see how uh, you know formal I made that right there? <laughs> okay. Well, I want to start with the, probably the most important thing, and that's kids. Um, so today, uh, the Governor's Scholar, uh, you know, the the program was announced, and Brent's uh, daughter Sydney, my oldest, was was. Uh, Brought into that program for creative writing, and Karen's son Wyatt is an alternate. Is an alternate. But he's with only a sophomore. Film and and, nice. and photography. And I asked Jay. I remember Jay at the senior awards dinner last year. Annalise, uh, Annalise yeah. was your uh, daughter, and she um, she got a million awards. I remember she got that. a couple. Yeah, she takes after her mother. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then and then Will, you've got you've got one on the way. You've got yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, one under two and one on the way. Yeah. So uh, all good things, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I want to start with with you, Senator Schroeder. So um, the overall theme that I kind of heard through this general assembly was that um, no legislation is perfect, but the overall package kind of moves us in the right direction. I've heard that from a couple of different groups. I think you might have said that in one of your pieces. So I'm going to start with the person that was most involved in that process. Do you agree generally with that consensus? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the lesson, one of the lessons for me, this was my fourth session and definitely the most challenging session I've experienced. But, uh, you know, you can't, you can't judge a book until you're finished with it. And we couldn't really judge this session until – the final day, the 60th day. I mean, there were definitely uh, times where it didn't seem like we were going anywhere with progress, and then at the end, a lot came together um, for the good, I think for the good of the community and the Commonwealth. So to your point, it, was it perfect? No, the process certainly wasn't perfect, but a lot of good things did come out of the session at the end. So what was the toughest part for you personally? Um, I know that you you were elected in 2014. Um, this is you know, uh, you've been through this process before. Uh, I guess we'll start there. Was it your toughest uh, General Assembly? Definitely, without a doubt. And uh, not just for me, but um, legislators I talked to have been down there, you know, a number of years. They all said it was it was the hardest one they had experienced. I think that was a combination of things. You know, we were tackling some tough issues with pension reform and tax reform there at the end. Uh, and also it was one of the toughest budgets we'd seen 
uh, in a long time. We being the Commonwealth, it was just a tough, tough session all around when you put all those together. So I remember, Karen, you're in your first year as the Fort Thomas Independent Superintendent. Um, Highlands hosted the Northern Kentucky Legislative Caucus, and I think all everybody in this room uh, stand up, stood up and spoke at that point. Um, but at the caucus, the the main theme uh, in February was education, education funding. Um, that theme seemed to carry throughout throughout the general assembly. Um, what were you hearing from the education community throughout the process? Well, I think that what we were hearing is the initial budget that came out could have been very damaging to schools. Um, everything from not phasing in SIRS, which, you know, personally for Fort Thomas schools, that would have been a $250,000 hit just this year. I think there was concern about programming, healthcare. We don't in Fort Thomas have much busing, so that wasn't going to damage us so much, but we knew that um, throughout uh, our, our state that that would be a problem. And so we were hearing that what could happen would be very devastating. So we felt extremely fortunate when the House came out with their initial budget, and um, then when we had the budget that the, the, the Senate and House came together on, we were very optimistic. Um, and of course, we had a particular reason as well uh, that we were ecstatic. But for our Fort Thomas community, that budget really meant uh, the world to us. So in your eyes, you're talking about a bunch of different things throughout um, the SERS phasing, getting you know the, the override from the, the veto system and mm -hmm. some of the budget items and the funding. What do you think your, the biggest win for educators was uh, throughout this, this general well, assembly? I think the biggest win for educators undoubtedly was the budget. Um, I, I mean, and, you know, I will say I felt like, you know, the pension reform could have been much worse, much worse for educators. Um, you know, the one sticking point right now really isn't about current educators. It's, you know, um, how do we continue to draw the best teachers, you know, new teachers. Uh, but the budget itself was a huge win for us. I mean, just personally, I think we're getting, um, you know, um, additional funding in SEEK. We'll make sure that we have our funding for health care. The pension system is getting funded. And so I don't know that people really understand what that um, veto override meant for us. And our, our legislators, representative and legislator, um, you know, representative or Senator Schroeder and representative Fisher, what they did for our community was, was huge. Brent. Before the session started, the chamber officials highlighted the importance of dealing with um, the state pension crisis, and, and Karen talked about that. Also, tax reform um, that needed to be addressed for Kentucky to remain competitive. I think I've heard you say that um, from a business standpoint, and you know, throughout to be competitive against other states. Even um, it was a tough vote. Uh, it was a tough issue. Emotions were high, um, so. Speaking from the chamber perspective, was this a, uh, a good session? Yeah, I, I think Northern Kentucky, at the end of the day, Northern Kentucky is better off because of what happened. Um, and, you know, Senator Schroeder, I, part of why I wanted to be here today, because we've all had conversations, the four of us sitting around this table uh, throughout the process. I wanted to say thanks to everyone involved, but a particular thanks to, to Will Schroeder, because um, he stepped up and stepped up in a big way on multiple occasions. We have money for a new elementary school in, in Fort Thomas because of Senator Schroeder and, and, and Representative Fisher. Um, we, we have uh, a phase-in 
for our cities and counties. Um, that was a big deal to Northern Kentucky businesses. Without that, we are going to see either decreased services or increased local payroll and property tax, period. That's why we chimed in. We're looking at it from the big picture. Um, because they stepped up, we have money for transportation, for um, a number of projects in Northern Kentucky, whether it's to ease congestion for Amazon, whether it's a, a bridge in, in Florence that has 100 accidents uh, a year on it, which I had no idea, but they do. We got money for 275 uh, to be repaid. I mean, there were a number of things, almost $200 million for Northern Kentucky projects, thanks to what they, they did. Um, so there were a number of things, looking at it from transportation, healthcare, we got the peer review through, um, but the big ones, the pension and tax reform, look, at the end of the day, Kentucky went from 33rd to 18th in tax competitiveness. And that's according from to the, the tax, tax foundation. foundation. Yeah. And, you know, you look at our peer states, the ones that we're competing with, that's that's a big deal for us. Um, a 1% cut on the payroll, on, on the, um, sorry, on the corporate uh, tax and the income tax. Those, those are big, big things for the state of Kentucky. Um, and, and yeah, there, there were, it's not perfect, like you said. No session is. But we, we have to go down and negotiate and, and deal with varying interests around the state. But Northern Kentucky came out very well in this process, and, and they deserve a, a round of applause and a big pat on the back from us. So, Jay, I, I saw um, – I could follow. It was kind of cool during this General Assembly, um, you know, over the last couple of years, really. But our, our – our, our stakeholders were able, you were able to kind of see what their thought process was. So I was following you on Twitter um, and, and I could kind of tell like what your, you were, where you were thinking, where you were during the process. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting that you read was we need to keep in mind that our Kentucky teachers are not walking out for salary increases. They are advocating to not have earned pensions reduced for school funding not to be cut. It's a very different ask. And, and I guess my question is, do you think that lawmakers um, listen to public school advocates during the course of this General Assembly? Well, I, I know the lawmakers that I spoke to certainly did. Uh, Will has always been very willing to answer text emails, and, and, and Brent as well, phone calls. So um, Dennis Keene as well, Joe Fisher, uh, whenever I run into Joe, uh, always willing to, to, to discuss, and, and, and I'm proud of the the way our local uh, legislators and local leaders, I think, handled themselves to, to a very challenging session. So I appreciate the, the, the cooperation that, that we did have. But, but back to, I think, what our teachers were, were standing up and advocating for was, was basically to, to, to remain where we are. So um, through my lens, it, it, was, it was similar to, uh, I'll use a sports analogy, we, we were down by a lot of points early uh, by what the governor's plan had laid out for us. I mean, we were we were behind by a lot of points. By the end of the game, uh, we, we still came out short. I mean, uh, school funding's down. I mean, that's the reality for us. Um, you know, we've talked about this in our, our superintendent circle that that the mantra that, that we've had for the last six, seven years is, well, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. At some point, we've got to uh, turn that around so that we can do the necessary things that we can do uh, to move kids forward. I, I know everyone at this table, uh, strong support uh, for the early childhood advocacy. We all know the brain, brain research says, man, it's the early years that matter. 
uh, we've got to wrap our energy around that and, and try to move that forward so that all kids have that same chance to be great sure. uh, Could, coming out of the gate. Preschool funding was cut a little bit. Preschool funding was cut. There was some money added for uh, the preschool grant. So it's kind of, it, it's really a challenge to try to uh, assess the, the goods and the bads and all the things that are coming out. I mean, there's uh, millions of dollars in grant money that, that uh advocate for collaboration with the preschool partnership grants that that a lot of us are currently doing so that's a positive thing as well but we also experienced a 6.25 percent cut in, in preschool funding so and all those monies have different uh kind of strings attached to them and what you can and cannot do with that so sure uh, we still have a lot of work to do i think in the area of, of, of preschool and let's be honest i mean kindergarten we still only fund uh kindergarten a half day in this state and um you know, we need to continue to press that uh, in the next session. Well, stepping from preschool, I know higher education. I want to talk about NKU real fast yeah. uh, with you, Senator Schroeder. So um, you've always talked about the need for the legislature to kind of address the disparity um, in how some of these uh, secondary education uh, colleges are funded. Mm -hmm. um, talk about... Um, so they were still stuck with a 6.25 budget cut across the board, but talk about some of the performance-based funding initiatives. I've heard you talk about that before. Right. No, that was that was crucial for NKU. You know, they wanted to bring up uh, the disparity, as you mentioned, to be on par with the other universities. Uh, kind of went a different route. We put more money through the outcomes formula, which was a huge win for NKU. Despite the cut, um, President St. Amand had a... Um, email that went out, I believe it was Monday, and I, they're still going to be uh, up $2 million, uh, which is, you know, it's not great, but compared to a lot of the other universities, they're better off. So just sending all the money through the formula was a big win. I really think not just for NKU, but I think that's hopefully we can continue down that course for the Commonwealth. I think that would be good for the universities across the board. I want to jump back to you, Karen. Um, Jay kind of talked about some of the cuts uh, from the preschool level and, and, and that being a sense of, uh, you know, frustration from his perspective that the education community is, is feeling. Mm -hmm. It's been a roller coaster, as, as also as, as Jay talked about, being down and then, and, you know, maybe getting on par and maybe ending up a little bit down. What was your biggest frustration um, from where you sit in the superten mm -hmm. superintendent's role in Fort Thomas Independent Schools throughout this right. process? So I think my biggest frustration had to do with communication. Um, first of all, you know, I could never put myself in the shoes of Senator Schroeder or others there because we they have all the information. We don't have all the information. So as they're making decisions, they have to weigh uh, choices and they have to understand you know this decision they make will impact something in another way um, and so we don't know that we don't know what's going on there and I think there was a lot of jumping to conclusions about what was happening um, I think there was also an issue with communication had to do with um, as Jay alluded to um, you know pension was wrapped up done but yet there was still all this confusion about pension and budget and tax reform. Um, and so that was that was very confusing. Um, in fact, the superintendents all had to get together the Wednesday before the session and say, okay, guys, I guess we're going to have to determine what the message is because there are so many competing messages. And so that's why we kind of got together and said, we got to send the word out that we've got to override these vetoes 
or there will be no money for education. There will be no money for Johnson. And so there were situations like that where we kind of had to take the lead and, and control the message and the communication because there were such competing messages. Yeah, I felt like you know, every day was like a different news cycle too. And it's like, okay, what are we, what are we dealing with now? And I can, I, I can, I could feel the frustration from the education community. I could feel it from the business community. I, I could certainly feel it from, you know, the legislator's perspective when maybe they didn't even know what was going to be presented to them on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. And I'll just say that, I mean, I, we tried very hard you know, always to support our, our current senator and legislator and to not make it personal. And I was, I, was, I was not happy with the way that people made it personal. And I don't think that actually does any good for any of us, especially as we've talked about. We really needed to see in the end, and in the, what it happened in the end really benefits us. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of work to, to go, work to do and a way to go, but, but this could have happened you know, it could have been much worse. I want to talk about one of the surprises of the session with you, Brent, um, and then maybe back to you, Will. So House Bill 366, which, you know, the Chamber has always talked about pension reform and, and tax reform. And then uh, it was kind of 11th hour type of thing where tax reform was was introduced and it was right before the, the veto break. Um, and to your point, the Tax Foundation kind of analyzed 366 and said, all right, of all the states, we're 33rd. This puts us, uh, you know, a little bit better than, yeah, a little bit better than the median. Um, so does this, impro this improve the business climate? And then have you talked to any small business owners who, uh, you know, aren't necessarily happy with the additional 6% that they're going to see? Yeah, and this is, this is where I think we, we as a Chamber of Commerce and we as a community have to talk about things from the big picture standpoint. I am one of those businesses that am negatively impacted by tax on services, no question about it. But I got a tax cut on, an, on the other hand. Um, when you look at it on the whole, when you look at the fact that we would have seen local tax increases in a big way had they not done the phase-in, when you look at NKU would have seen massive tuition hikes, if you look at the fact that we would have lost money in Fort Thomas, um, when you look at it holistically, see, we came out way better than we would have. And I know, I hear what you're saying that it seems like we said that a lot lately, but this one was real. We were looking at uh, some, some really detrimental effects had they not done what they did. And I thought it was really telling that we as a community really supported the override because um, we voted as a block heavily in support of that. And we as, a, as the education community, as the business community, heavily supported that override. That's telling to me. That means that we did negotiate the best deal we could possibly get under the circumstances. Um, on the education side, I just want to, while I've got the floor for a second, I do want to say, you know, we have heavily supported public education and education as a whole. Child care assistance program, preschool for all kids, those are things that the business community is passionate about. Additional funding for SEEK, we, we fought for. Um, we spoke up about the NKU funding for Gateway, Gateway, excuse me. Those were all things that we wanted to see. And so, and we also talked about uh, other sources of revenue along the way. And those things get lost when you only look at one particular thing and you say, well, you were for pension reform. That means you're anti-education. Well, that's not true at all. And I think when we have the dialogue and we talk about the whole picture, I think we come to a better place. And that's what we did. And at the end, at the end of the day, we wound up being better off than we would have been. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to the theme of what we first started on. Nothing's perfect, yeah. but you got to move the ball forward. So, Jay, um, 
one of the one of the things I want to talk about with you is specifically how um, the pension, uh, the education pension. One of the things that um, you know we have to pay for it in some capacity. So new hires seem to be um, part of that equation that, that's going to help fund um, you know a lot of this mechanism. Um, they'll be entered into a hybrid plan. Districts will take on an additional two percent. How do you think that's going to affect specifically Dayton Independent? Um, I mean, obviously, the 2% each year we're going to be contributing more and more. And after 5, 10, 15, 20 years of that, that, that will continue to grow, uh, as will the CRS payment. So as we're looking down the road here, we can see expenses going up. Uh, hopefully, revenue at some point uh, has to increase and it increase significantly. Um, as much as we applaud the, the, the SEEK increase, uh, the reality is that was $15,000 for Dayton Independent Schools. The 6.25% cuts equal about $45,000 for us. So, um, you know, when we add step and rank and other things into, into our budget, um, you know, we're still down for, for, for the school year. Um, you, you know, we're, we're challenged uh, 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 across the state. And I think it's everybody, you know, recruiting uh quality people into the profession and retaining them into the profession. I think uh, the hybrid model is an unknown for everyone. You know, you hear from both sides saying, well, this will be much better. People will come out at the end and then you hear the other side. This will be devastating and you never want to go into that. And I, I think that's a lot of what we heard in this session was this black and white. It's the end of the world on both ends. And, and I think that created a lot of the confusion um, that we saw throughout the the session, I, I certainly would would have loved to unplug social media for for a long time from all parties. Uh, I think that would help uh, move things along. I, I think uh, we're at a tipping point with the use of social media. So Will, Will's probably seen nothing like it uh, since he's been down there. Uh, he's shaking his head, like, <laughs> shaking his head, and being very quiet, which is probably good. Yeah, let's stay off the last few days. Yeah, yeah, so you know. So track. I think that's created some challenges, as, as Karen said, the communication and getting the information accurate but going back to your question you know the hybrid model for new teachers obviously it's going to cost districts more uh, it's yet to be seen whether or not uh, teachers will benefit from that in the long run uh, I guess the markets will control that um, and we'll see how that plays out I think the feeling amongst the education group is uh, it hasn't enhanced the marketability as education as a profession so you've you've got you're a lot of you've got a lot of family in the education yeah. community. Yeah. You've you've got I think your daughter maybe uh, if I remember some my of, niece your niece yeah two nieces we've got them everywhere they they want to go are, what yeah. are you telling them telling them that you you, you got to follow your passion you, you know um, and, and do what your heart loves because uh, that's what you have to do in life and, and hopefully it will work out you know as we've seen uh, what's in place right now may not be in place in in five or ten years so. Uh, you got to watch it. Uh, you, you have to be aware at the front end, but they're, they're, they're going out there and they're going to be great educators. So uh, hopefully we'll continue to have kids that aspire to be uh, difference makers uh, in a profession like teaching. So, Will, I want to talk about some of the public, uh, you know, feedback that you yeah. had. This was, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was pretty fast, intense. Um, I saw on your social media uh, platforms you didn't necessarily, you know, do a turtle head, po poke your head in, and you were out there, and you were, um, you know, putting out what you felt was best, um, despite what negative feedback was going to come back at you. So, 
Um, talk about just how you were feeling throughout this process. Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely want, especially when the, the bills are coming out, I want to keep people informed. I, a lot of people are signed up to my email, so I send that out. I try to do that on a regular basis. I try my best to uh, respond to all my emails. You know, I'm still doing that actually now after session's over, still trying to get back to those. Um, but for Facebook, you know, getting that information out, uh, this is my process. I've met with so many teachers. I've met with, you know, the business community. I met with everyone. This is what I'm thinking. Um, you know, I think some people wish I would have engaged more. I think people wanted me to get down in the comments section. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, I don't even have time to do that when you're down in session. I mean, to some extent, it's either I can be on Facebook all night or I can be reading the bills and talking to these guys about how we can continue to move the community forward. So, um, yeah, I try to put the information out there and give people my thought process and, you know, read the feedback, take it, uh, ignore the completely personal nasty comments, just brush them off. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the process. Well, and for the record, just because this is a podcast and, and I've got to describe and set the scene a little bit, you do have a gray hair right here now that I, I did not notice um, a couple of months ago. But yeah, I, I want to talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. So, Will, I do want to say you, you voted against, uh, and we kind of talked about this with Brent, but you voted against 366, which was the tax reform bill. Mm -hmm. um, it passed 20 to 18. That provided close, some, some close funding and, and um, some revenue. Yeah. Um, give us a glimpse behind the scenes, if, if you would, for what well, you can tell us. How, no. how was that presented to you? Yeah, I mean, that was the hardest that day, the first time around. That was one of the worst, I felt like, uh, hardest days in my session. Just, um, you know, tax reform and lowering the rates. As, as Brent mentioned, the personal and the corporate, uh, lowering rates but expanding the base is something, um, you know, we talk about often. We talk about doing that. Uh, the, the way it was presented the first time around and just coming back from Easter break and had that bill, I didn't feel like I had enough time to get the feedback from all the different people I needed to. Um, anytime you're going to be voting on revenue, it's going to be tricky because as we've talked about so many times with tax reform, there's always going to be winners and losers. There's going to be people that feel like um, they did great because the rates are coming down, so they're seeing more in their paycheck. Uh, there's going to be people that are upset because, as Brent mentioned, now their business has to start taking on this service, you know, putting the service tax on. Um, so that first time around, I just didn't feel like I had had enough feedback um, or time to really digest things. But the good thing really kind of for me was that uh, we had the veto days. We had those 10 days there. So I could really uh, study the bill, start getting feedback from people, talking to the chamber, you know, looking at um, bigger companies and small companies and just trying to get all the feedback. And at the end of the day, it was, it was one of those situations where, as we mentioned multiple times, was it perfect? No. Uh, did I like the process necessarily that it happened in? No, I didn't. You know, I wish we could have had more uh, of that as well. But I thought it was a fair bill. I thought it was a, a, a good bill um, to start this tax reform process. And it did lower rates for a lot of people. So, um, I mean, it lowered the income rates for everyone. So it's a good it's a good thing. Unless you're, you know, using all those services on a routine basis, I think you're going to come out ahead. So I do think it was a good bill. What about, so uh, two of the funding mechanisms that I routinely heard was um, gaming and, um, you know, the legalization in some form or fashion of marijuana. Were, yeah. were those uh, bills brought up by leadership? You know what, I recently, um, 
had some people in uh, Frankfurt at a meeting, and I, I said, I think in Kentucky we're going to see uh, legalized marijuana before gaming. I just do. At least uh, medical marijuana. Uh, recreational, I'm not so sure. But medical marijuana, especially in the last four years that I've been down there, it's, it's gained more momentum than I ever expected. Um, going back to gaming, you know, up here in Northern Kentucky, it's not it's not really as taboo or it's not really a hot button uh, for us. We have it so close by, but you get into the rural different parts of Kentucky, and it's just not it just doesn't have the votes. It doesn't have it. Um, but on the flip side, what I what I try to remind people, uh, it's it's part of the solution. It's not a silver bullet. You know, we're we're dealing with fourteen uh, percent of the budget now is going towards pensions. And at best, uh, Rockefeller Institute looked at other states that did gaming besides take Nevada out um, and look at the other states. And it can potentially add 2 to 2.5% of additional revenue. So it is, it, it's well, additional revenue, and that's good, uh, but it's not the silver bullet. Um, as far as medical marijuana and revenue, that, that becomes tricky. It becomes tricky for me, too, because, you know, we don't tax, med you know, we don't tax medicine. So are we saying it's medicine or are we not saying it's medicine? Is it fair to tax it if it is medicine? That becomes a little tricky. That wasn't really um, looked at as far as a, a revenue source this session. So Brent, where does the chamber come down on those two? Yeah, so, uh, and I think that's really astute what he just ex explained. And it's, it's, I think, foreign to a lot of people in Northern Kentucky. They don't understand that a lot of what happens in Frankfurt isn't, in my opinion, Republican-Democrat. It's urban-rural. It is different demographics. We we went down with the Louisville Chamber of Commerce, GLI, Greater Louisville Inc., and did a press conference on gaming. We represent 25% of the population. And our member, our business memberships, it's overwhelming support for gaming. I mean, it's it's not, we're talking, it polls in the 90 percentile. And I would wager, and if you went around Northern Kentucky, it would poll that way. Wager, the, no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. But, um, and when you, when you talk to folks in Lexington, it's just kind of the same way. But you get down to the rural areas, despite the fact that West Virginia and Illinois and Tennessee and Indiana and Ohio all have it, and they all have it on our borders, and it seems obvious to us, you get around the state, it's not obvious to them, and it's a tough sell. And so we understand that. I think um, we have to explain that to people, that we're going down, we're representing our point of view, but it's not likely. Um, on the medical marijuana thing, we had we didn't actually take a stance on that as a chamber, although I think it will come up again this, this time, and I... I suspect, as you articulated, there will be general support for it, especially on the medical marijuana side. I think there's a recognition that there's a benefit for cancer, and we lead the nation in cancer, by the way. Another thing that we championed, though, was cigarette tax, and we did get a compromise on that. We did advocate for a full dollar. We think that would have been the way to go, but that was, again, a tough thing for, for the legislature, some areas of the state, to, to, uh, to swallow, and they did compromise on a 50-cent increase, and that wasn't nothing. Um, so. We hope to continue to re, uh, revisit these additional sources of revenue, and I think we will, Jay, see additional sources of revenue over time, and we're going to keep championing um, how those are, how those dollars are spent. Yeah, I do want to applaud the Northern Kentucky Chamber. I sit on the board out there, so I, I get to hear a lot more of their, their advocacy and their advocacy for the dollar increase in the cigarette tax. I mean, Brent's right. We're, we're, the, we're, the, we're the cancer capital of the nation, and, you know, uh, and, and I think... A lot of what we have seen in this session are, are steps forward uh, to some of the solutions that 
are, are going to come. But the cigarette tax and the advocacy of our Northern Kentucky Chamber for that, I think, is a step in the right direction where, where you look at our state as a whole and you, you, could, you could say this statement uh, that, that we undertax cigarettes and we undertax schools. Um, we need to move uh, towards a, a, a different scenario with that statement where we're maybe we're overtaxing cigarettes a little bit and we're overfunding schools. But it was a step in the right direction to, to bring some much needed revenue uh, in for us. So we appreciate the advocacy uh, on the part of our chamber to, to move forward there. And Mark, you know, talking about new revenue, I mean, last year in 2017, the state of Kentucky set a new economic development record with uh, new investment for they the state. They crushed it. I mean, yeah, completely crushed it, $9.1 billion. Um, but that's going to take a while. But once that comes and all these businesses are coming, more payroll added, uh, another additional revenue that comes to mind, the U.S. Supreme Court is hearing the case with remote sales tax. So um, when you're online shopping and the, the vendor doesn't have a, a place set up in Kentucky, you know, is it fair for Kentucky to collect sales tax? A lot of people think the, the court's going to reverse uh, their prior ruling and say, yeah, the state should be allowed to collect that. That was uh, put into the revenue package, but we didn't we didn't book those savings because we don't have a ruling yet. But I think it's going to bring in an additional just under $50 million or so. Um, so things like that are, are being sought out and looked at and considered. I want to go back, Karen, to um, – I guess you were talking about communication and some of the districts and some of the, um, you know, superintendents were super outspoken. Mm -hmm. um, some played their cards a little bit closer to the vest. Um, talk about how you felt like you needed to handle your business specifically in right. Fort Thomas. Well, it is tricky uh, because, you know, of course, your teachers want you to advocate. And I, so I wanted to make sure that we talked on, on behalf of teachers. Um, it was important that I kept teachers and staff informed. Um, I didn't blast them all the time because, honestly, in Fort Thomas, they want to pay attention to instruction. So they don't need all that noise and disruption. But every time there was something new to let them know or something to advocate for, and, and I do feel like we were sort of, working um, two different, I don't want to call it campaigns, it's not a campaign, but uh, we, you know, we really had to send out communication about the, the budget in general, but then also this idea about Johnson. So we were advocating for the budget in general. So f really fact-based, tried very hard not to make it political. Um, it's really, it's important as, as um, you know, superintendents, of course, we're not going to take any political position with regards to candidates or anything that doesn't relate to education. But it really is part of our job to take a position politically um, when it comes to education. So we actually have um, part of our role is to advocate for education funding. So what I tried to do is, again, to do that in a non-personal way, uh, but to, to really look at what is the position that we need to take as a district in order to get funding for our students and not take money from our taxpayers and from our schools that our community supports heavily. Um, and so that was more about sending out messages to you know, call for this specific issue, um, not again about individuals. Although we did publicly many times, uh, we're very thankful and supportive of uh, Senator Schroeder and Representative Fisher. We knew they were working hard on behalf of us. And, and you mentioned uh, Johnson, so I want to touch on that briefly. Um, talk about the it wasn't just an overnight thing. Like, oh, gosh, it, this no. was put into play um, probably right after Moyer got their funding, um, I would guess. But 
Um, talk. Well, I actually started in 2011. Okay. So in 2011, I'll try to do this quickly. In 2011, actually Johnson was in worse shape than Moyer. Um, it was in sort of the top of the list on this Parsons list of schools that needed help. I think cri different criteria kept being added, and uh, Johnson did not get in that final list because they didn't have mobiles. Uh, they had met every other criteria, and then they were dropped from that list because there were no mobiles. So fast forward now to, I think, right before I got there, so sort of the spring before I got there last spring, you know, of course, there had been this constant discussion. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We need help. We can only bond $4 million. This is a $22 million school. Um, and so what had happened, our board of education was very proactive and went ahead and funded plans for the schools so that we would be shovel-ready. Um, and so then when I get in there, uh, July, August, worked very strongly with our foundation, which have an amazing education foundation, uh, and people who give hours, tireless hours, and their treasures to, you know, really help our school district. Um, and so we together kind of create a strategy. Very thankful for Amy Schaefer, who is the um, chair of that foundation, who really brought the best people together to see what can we do. Adam Caswell was very uh, much involved in that. And Will was really the lin linchpin, Sandra Schroeder, because he was able to get uh, Senate President Stivers up here to see Johnson. And so that, I think... And, and, and um, Senator Schroeder and I went down to Frankfurt as well to meet with him and his finance staff. And, and he wasn't just saying that, um, yeah, we know Johnson is, is a situation that we need to take care of. He, he remembered it, and he was telling other people. So I feel like that visit that he was able to, Senator Schroeder was able to bring him up to actually see it. And then we had some other legislators who came who were pretty powerful and important in this decision-making. Um, and so they were able to advocate very specifically and in a detailed way for it. Um, I have to say again uh, with Representative Fisher and Senator Schroeder, I think they were tireless in keeping that up there. I will say it's a modern day miracle that is in there. It's what they, I think everyone would say. How in the world in a year where we had cuts were they able to kind of you know, wave the flag for this school and one other school, Menifee County, that we they are desperate and we have to do this. And so we're, we're ecstatic. I mean, we really feel like we met yesterday afternoon about the funding. Uh, we're meeting on Friday morning, uh, but we definitely will be able to start the school. Uh, we're looking at, if, if all goes well, we'll put it out for bid in August, and we might be... Uh, you know, our my maintenance people and architects will get mad for me saying this, but I'm not making a promise, uh, but maybe sometime this fall, okay, we'll so, be able to start the school. And then talk about what, where did you hear, so there was a, a override on, on one of Governor Bevin's vetoes, which essentially clinched the funding. Where were you? Actually, you at the uh, we were at the alumni dinner <laughs> at Highland Country Club. So the you know Highlands High School alumni dinner with Jeff Walls was a speaker. We had three amazing teachers being honored and wonderful alumni. Uh, it's like Tom Jones, alumnus Tom Jones. It was like you planned. I it. know, and so of course I'm trying to watch the play by play, and we knew it was down to the last vote. And from what I heard, it was close. So again, we can't say enough about the advocacy that they did for us. Uh, so yeah, so. So everybody had champagne and celebrated, and we had it live streaming, so it was wonderful. And it wasn't just that funding, it was the equalization statute, right. which we didn't believe we'd ever have both. 
And that, that extending that equalization um, money not just helps us, but it also helps about nine or ten other schools, like districts like Beechwood and some others. Yeah, yeah, it really worked out because Representative Fisher was able to get the line item money in the House version. And then when it came to the Senate, you know, of course I advocated for that, and I advocated for the equalization. I was able to get the equalization, but not keep the line item the first time around. So when it went to uh, the free conference committee, uh, it started out with the conference committee and then the free conference committee, uh, it really helped to Karen's point earlier, you know, President Stivers had been up here with us, he had toured it. They knew the safety concern, you know, the three different campuses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Chairman McDaniel was familiar with the situation. So that helped that the house, you know, again wanted to advocate for that and this time around the senate was like yeah okay we hear you we know that's important to you and, we, and they knew it was important to me as well so it really worked out you know one other quick thought i just want to point out last year the senate and the house came together and were able to quickly get rid of prevailing wage in schools when doing construction school construction that's something the superintendents by and large supported because they got to build new schools that inflates the cost of the schools so because that was removed too we're going to get bigger bang for the buck um, when we go to build things like like Johnson. I think I pointed that out during the caucus meeting, but it's something not to be lost. I mean, they went from $5.1 billion to $9.1 billion on economic development projects. They did prevailing wage. We're going to save hundreds of millions of dollars on school construction over the next year or two. And that's a big deal for the state of Kentucky and a really big deal for school districts. And so that shouldn't be lost in this discussion. I also want to just throw out there that we also got rid of our formulated gas recently. And teachers drive. And, and we, we all do. But... <laughs> You know, that's 22 cents a gallon, $41 million for our economy next year. Um, and it doesn't hit till July, so we still got a, a little bit to wait. But if you go to the west side of Cincinnati or drive up to Blue Ash and, and buy gas and then just drive right across the river, it's 22 cents on average more expensive right now, and that will change. And so we're really excited about some of the developments that have happened. And yeah, the chamber's been on that for I, is, four is, years. Yeah, forever. Forever. Yeah. And back, back to the chamber, back to you, Brent. Um, there are two things I wanted to talk about that I felt like were under the radar, but you talked about them already, sort of. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the $196 million over biennium allocated to the improvements of the interstates. Yeah. Um, talk about that. And then I also wanted to talk about House Bill 2. Uh, which Adam Koenig was the the sponsor of getting rid of some of the workmen's comps. So talk about those. Well, that's things. that's another one that I mean, while we've got educators in the room, I actually think that benefits every every employer, schools and yeah, businesses, absolutely. right? So that kind of work, that that legislation, Adam should be really proud, um, and everybody that voted to support it, uh, Will and everyone else should be really proud of that. Um, I think it's going to help our state actually in the long run, um, and the transportation. Uh, Northern Kentucky came out well in this now. It, again, it isn't perfect. We want to see additional revenue for our roads and bridges. Again, that polls very highly in the business community, um, but it's tough when you're looking at other revenue sources. And I mean, we 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 did get cigarette tax increase, um, so you give and sometimes you you get on some of these things. We would like to see next time they come back to increase the gas tax, and in combination of an overall long-term strategy for paying for our roads and bridges today. It's, it's akin to charging everyone 911 fees when they're using landlines, everybody's using cell phones. And that's where we're going with transportation. We're going to electric vehicles, we're going to more fuel efficient vehicles. The gas tax is a dying tax for, for paying for things. We've got to figure out a way to replace that long term. So the chambers of commerce around the state, in particular the, the Louisville, Lexington, the state chamber, and the northern Kentucky chamber, we're going to continue talking about transportation because we can't get where we want to go without it. And, 
We can't connect our workforce, which is our number one issue. We can't. We got to get our employees uh, to and from their their homes in a reasonable time frame. We've got to get kids to school. Um, we've got to figure out ways to do public transportation. All that requires funds, and the way we're doing it just doesn't make sense in the long term. So that's another thing we got to fix down the road. But um, I do like um, the fact that the road projects that did fund benefited us in a big way, and 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 that's going to help us this coming year. So kudos to the the legislature for making that happen. Jay, I want to I want to start with you. Give me a one sentence. I'm going to give this same question to everybody. Um, one sentence. How would you characterize the 2018 General Assembly? Confusion and compromise, I, I guess, would be the way I would summarize uh, this session. Will? Uh, I think it was a roller coaster ride that, fortunately, we ended up in a better spot than where we started. Karen? I'm going to say lessons learned. We know now how to communicate better. We know the power of social media. We know to keep our eyes on the long game. Um, so lots of lessons were learned. Brent? It was a crazy ride. I like the roller coaster. Um, I'm, I'm still not over it. Um, it, was, it was something that, and I like what you just said, that we, we've learned a lot of lessons from it. Um, it was my first session as chamber president. I learned a lot from it on how to communicate and how, on, on all fronts. So I think we're going to do it better next time. Um, but I am really proud of this group, in particular Senator Schroeder and our and our superintendents for the way they communicate. Uh, Karen and Jay in particular. I mean, we talked almost daily there for a while, and I think we we came to a place that was better than we found it. And so thanks to all of them um, for their service. Yeah, definitely. And Mark, I'd follow up on that and, and you know thank our superintendents, especially Karen and Jay too. They they did advocate you know, very strongly for their teachers, but they have, uh, um, you know, an open dialogue that we can text each other and uh, talk about these issues and, and know, you know, Jay mentioned the preschool partnership grant program. And that was one thing that I'm like, Jay, I'm trying to figure this out. Aren't you guys, you know, this is going to help you more than, and he's like, well, we got the cuts. And, and so as legislators, you know, I can't be an expert on all fields. So I have to rely on uh, and trust people to give me that positive feedback. So I really appreciate uh, the work that they did throughout the session to help me understand the issues. Couple more gray hairs installed for you, uh, <laughs> Senator Schroeder. So for Will and Karen and Brent and Jay, this is Mark Collier for Thomas Matters Radio. How can everybody connect with you uh, if they choose to do so? I'm going to start with you, Karen. Okay. Well, you can. I'm on Twitter, FTIS Super. I'm on Facebook, and you can also email me, Karen Chesser at FortThomas.KYSchools.US, or call eight five nine seven eight one three 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 three. How many times have you said that in the last couple? I don't know. Pray a lot. <laughs> Brent, I'm B Cooper NKY on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Call the chamber at eight five nine five seven eight eighty eight hundred, or you can email me at bcooper at nkychamber.com. And Jay? Uh, you can catch me at uh, j.brewer at dayton.kyschools uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can catch me running through town if you want. Uh, I know. I was going to say, this is, us usually, us too, so, yeah. this is usually your, your running yeah, time. We're cutting uh, into it. We're cutting into it. If, if I'm a minute slow on the marathon, come up here, man. I'm going to blame you guys. Blame living media. Will, how can people yeah, connect Will with Schroeder you? Will Schroeder at Twitter is my handle, um, at Will Schroeder, just one L. One L. And then uh, Will Schroeder states in on Facebook, and um, email me at the LRC email anytime. Very good. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks.